As part of Ferrari Fridays, William Ross from the Exotic Car Marketplace will be discussing all things Ferrari and interviewing people that live and breathe the Ferrari brand. Topics range from road cars to racing, drivers to owners, as well as auctions, private sales, and trends in the collector market. Welcome back to the Ferrari Marketplace podcast. I'm William Ross, your host. Uh, I want to welcome everyone over to our new platform. And I want to also welcome my, I I don't want to say guest on the show. I'm going to say more like co-host because, you know, we're kind of, you know, good friends, uh, business associates. Um, You know, we do a lot of things together. So, but Eric, crew chief Eric is joining me on this and he'll probably be on a lot of subsequent episodes as well as either co-host guest moderator what have you but you will be hearing some more soon so crew chief Eric introduce yourself to our uh, listeners well William folks that are familiar with the break picks podcast are familiar with my voice and you know it I always say it's a little bit odd being on the other side of the microphone so I appreciate you inviting me on to the Ferrari Marketplace podcast talk about a really interesting topic tonight but uh happy to be here happy to have you as part of the motoring podcast network so this is a lot of fun and looking forward to seeing where things go for the future of the Ferrari Marketplace podcast yeah so as everyone heard uh Eric just mentioned is the motoring podcast network is a nice little project that is getting launched that is going to have basically all podcasts, uh, motoring related, and it's going to be a fantastic platform. So it'll give you many, many options and choices to listen to different various podcasts of people we know and people that, hey, we kind of all jump on each other's podcasts, but uh, you're going to find a lot of variation in regards to what you can listen to. So definitely uh, get on there and sign up and keep a listen. So tonight we are going to be talking about a show that Eric turned me on to. Um, or inform me on, I should say, I wouldn't say turn me on to because, you know, I kind of scratched my head about watching it, but I know Eric and his wife are kind of big fans of it. Um, it is on Netflix. It's called Car Masters Rust to Riches. Um, if you look it up, you'll see there's five seasons uh, and it follows this crew at Gotham Garage out in California. Uh, and, you know, it, it's kind of along the lines of what you would think when you see a TV show that's on Netflix or any other of these like Motor Trend or whatnot. Um, but, you know, their philosophy or I guess to say business model is to take really junk, cheap cars, fix them up to sell them for X or trade it for Y and then take that and do the same thing to it. But for more money to get to Z, which would be a six figure car. So they just basically taking that old adage. And I think they use this example in the beginning, talking about it, take talking about the person using the paperclip and 11 trades later, they own a house. Kind of that scenario is what they're looking at. So there's some interesting people on the show. Um, I know Eric's done a lot of research on the show and the individuals. I've done a little bit on it too, because it was a head scratcher on some of these guys. Cause they kind of like, are they legit? Or are they just kind of actors or what, which you'll find out one of them kind of is. Um, so, but you know, the majority of the guys were in the car, you know, they know their stuff. I'll give them that. So, but you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about this show on the Ferrari marketplace podcast? Well, here's the reason 
in episode or in season five, towards the last few episodes, there is a Ferrari that they get their hands on and modify. And if you want to take the time to watch it, watch it, and you'll you'll see what we're talking about here. But oh my lord, I mean it is it is. Oh my lord, and yeah, it's like where to start. I mean, I just and you know, I, I when Eric told me about the you know the show itself, and th- you know, hey, this is right because they did this Ferrari, and I'm like, all right, you know, and I did. I watched the fir- first season. I watched a couple episodes, and I'm like, okay, I got the gist of it. So I jumped right to the ones for the Ferrari. So it was like the last three episodes of season five. It kind of gives goes across it. So, and there's kind of a big jump in regards to some things happening from season one to season five as well. And they expand and all that stuff. But anyways, it's the kind of same thing. And if you want to take a a quick trip down seasons one through four, we actually released part of our too long, didn't read miniseries. I go over all of my previous reviews of seasons one through four on break fix. And you can listen to that and kind of get caught up with what we're talking about as we're talking about season five, but you're right. A lot of things changed on the show. COVID played a big part in it. This has been going on for many, many years now that my wife and I have been following these builders and following the show. And to your point, it does follow a bit of a formula that other, what we call restoration shows will follow, whether it's Rust Valley Restorers, whether it's Tex-Mex Motors, whether it's Car Masters and some of the other ones, you know, Fast and Loud, all those ones that you know from the old days. There's a certain way of doing it. The thing that was interesting about Gotham is the head of the ship, which is Mark Towley, who is famous for building some of the most interesting Hollywood replica cars or like Hot Wheels inspired type of cars. And the most famous one he built many, many years ago, and it's in the Peterson, is the Mach 5 racer full-size car that was used in the movie Speed Racer. So, you know, that really put him on the mark. That was the first car he got in the museum. There's been others since then, but he's got this particular style about the way he likes to conduct his builds. And we'll get into that as we go along. Yeah, and you could probably make, and listen to those ones because I'm sure Eric touches on the legal issue that came about with one of these cars that got built. But hey, as it watch all the seasons, then listen to his reviews, or hey, if you want to skip all the thing, walk, listen to his thing and watch the far. Let's either way, take a listen to it because it'd be very insightful and there's a lot of good tidbits and stuff in that. So please definitely take a listen to that for the Break Fix podcast as well. So let's let's set the stage for season five. It picks up exactly where season four left off. And so to give people an idea of why that's important, season four was a bit of a game changer for the show. It moved away from the classic format of upgrade and trade, they called it. Like you said, the red paper clip to the house in 11 trades later. They sort of decided that they wanted to go and start reaching for high-end clientele. They wanted to do six-figure builds every time they built a car. And so the builds got more extreme. They got more exaggerated. Some of them you're like, "Ah, I don't really know if this flies or if this works. And, And they did keep some of the cartoony aspect to a couple of the builds, let's say the rocket car or the school bus or some of the other ones that they built. And you can go back and see those in season three and season four. The reason season four is such a turning point in the show is it brings in this dynamic duo of a design that apparently Mark had been sitting on for about 20 years. And it's a bit of a Bugatti inspired 
supercar built on top of, you know, his favorite chassis, which is a C4 Corvette. And so there were struggles getting that car sold. And in comes a personality that most of us that have watched anything on Motor Trend would recognize this gentleman right away. He's a bloke from the UK, as we like to say. His name is Nick Smith. He's originally from Classic Avenue, which is a big, you know, brokerage in classic motorcycles and classic cars and things like that. He presents himself on TV as the appraiser, right? I've seen him on a lot of shows where they have to bring in a specialist to put a number on, let's say, an old school Mercedes or something like that. So Nick suddenly walks in the bay of Gotham Garage and you're like, what's he doing here? And he's representing the client that's going to buy this duo supercar and motorcycle that they had built during season three that they struggled to unload because of COVID and everything else. So season five picks up exactly at that handshake when they were all sort of getting together. And now Nick Smith's team of fabricators is getting together with Mark's team at Gotham. They've got two locations that they're working out of. And you're sort of thrown in the middle of it going, where is this going to go? Is this going to work? Are these guys going to gel? Are they going to have personality conflicts? And the show, if you go back and watch the previous years, one of the things we always highlighted and appreciated was it was a pretty low drama show. When you compare it to like a Rust Valley Restorers where they're at each other's throats and you never know who's going to throw a wrench across the room next. And, you know, it's like West Coast Choppers, you know, that kind of just ridiculousness. These guys are pretty mellow. They're really laid back. They work well together as a team and they take direction well. And it was nice to watch a restoration show where, People aren't at each other's throats and they're building some interesting stuff. Whether you agreed with the final product or not, you're like, I can appreciate what went into that, the labor and the process. So that's what's kept us engaged up until this point. Now introduce Nick Smith, introduce his team. How is this all going to go down? Are we suddenly going to become, you know, West Coast Chop, West Coast Customs or anything like that? Where is this going to lead us? Luckily, they stayed pretty subdued. But we hit this other bump in the road when they tried to build the cover car, which is this Tesla that they converted to a rear wheel drive LS powered abomination. That's the word I, I want to give it. Yeah. They, yeah. God, yeah. They had a really hard time selling this car and they finally found the right buyer, let's say that. And that opened the door for this Ferrari. So, William, why don't you talk about the Ferrari, the deal they brokered and, and the condition of the car? Well, it's a 360 uh, Spider. Um, so right there, it tells you, you know, F1 tranny, not a six speed. So right there, it tells you, you know, even with low miles, even say 10, 50, I mean, you're still maybe a, a $90,000, $100,000 car retail. You know, and, and depending on condition, maybe a little bit more, but, you know, th that's about it. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, service history, like that. So, well, this is actually a theft recovery car. Now, this is what I found interesting. First of all, when they say it was a theft recovery and they were showing it when they were looking at it, you know, to go up, view it and then try to, for the initial process of potentially buying the car. It was only missing its rear bumper cover and the lower front valance on it, I think was gone too. Or, you know, and the rear, so. the rear deck, the hood was missing at that yeah. point. So, which was kind of baffling to me because, I mean, I, I trust, I'm not in that field, so. But I figure that car would have been stripped a lot more than that, because you know there's a lot of expensive parts on there that they could have just peeled off and made you know you know whoever did it or stole the car. So stealing some 
aesthetic pieces off the car seemed a bit, you know, I don't know, just head scratcher. It didn't, didn't make sense, but hey, you know what, weird stuff's happened. Um, so then when they negotiated, obviously the first initial thing was they supposedly agreed on a price at 60 grand. Which in my mind, if I was looking at it, like, okay, that's not so bad because it won't take all that much. You know, you, you could put in, you know, 20 grand into it, you know, and get it back up to where it needs to be and then sell it for you, whatever, you know, put it out there for 110, something like that and take your 95, whatever, you make a nice profit on it. Okay. So 60 grand for this theft recovery 360, but let's, let's be real for a minute. What do you think the broker or the consigner in this case what did they get the car for from the police auction? 35 grand. Right? Okay, so some so there's a profit margin in every step of this equation. Oh yeah. As we move along in the story of this car. Yeah, I mean 35 40 grand tops. I mean it's you know coming through because obviously, you know, whoever owned it got their payout from the insurance and everything like that and you know they you know the cops get you know however it got and the insurance company they just want to get it off their hands. So there's money to be made all steps of it. It just depends on what level you want to be at. But then, you know, it, 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 and it was a big jump because then all of a sudden, you know, they thought they had to deal at 60, but then all of a sudden they get the phone call saying, well, we had another person come in and offer a 75. And if, if you're like willing to be, it's like know, typical used car salesman stuff. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I got another buyer on the line. And suddenly the price has gone up. If you want to get, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. That, that is like the, it's absolute typical. Well, I had someone in earlier today, you know, putting in an offer. I, you know, I got someone calling me back or, you know, this same old BS. So they fall for it. So true or not, whatever. So they, because they told them, well, if you can match it since you were here first, you know, we'll sell you the car. So they kind of mull it over briefly and say, all right, pull the trigger and buy it. And I'm like, it's 75 grand. What that was, I go right there. That's just a, a loser as it is. Because what's the market look like on a 360 these days? It's pretty soft, right? Oh, God, yeah. Especially with an F1 tranny. I mean, you know, if you're going to buy one, obviously you want to buy it with the six-speed. And even with that car, I mean, you could get the you know conversion done. Or you still, you know, on those, I, I think it's like 40 grand, 35 grand on a 360 to do the conversion. So, I mean, that ain't cheap. So you start doing the math and get it up there. So, um, but yeah, F1 tranny, 360, a spider. I mean, yeah, like I was saying, Depending on miles, you know, to me, like I said, top markets, you know, 110, 120. You know, I know there's people out there trying to, you know, ask for a lot more, but, you know, they ain't going to sell. You know, you can ask whatever you want for the car, but who wants to, you know, pay for that? Because especially when you go, you know, from a 360 to a 430, you got, there's such a huge jump in regards to performance and just, you know, the driving quality of the car and everything you get out of it. It's like, you would spend the extra twenty five grand to jump into a four thirty than you would a three sixty, because you know you can get a you know mid mid to low twenty thousand mile at four thirty, you know um, you know in the shit you know the, the one forty range, one fifty range you know decent great service everything like that you know whereas why would you spend one twenty on a three sixty when you could spend an extra twenty grand and get you know hundred more horsepower you know. You go from timing belts to chains, so you don't have the belt situation going on as you do with the 360 going into the 430. There's so many differences between the two. It's like pay the extra money. Yeah, and this is where it gets awkward, right? Because up until this part in the show, 
we were still trying to figure out how Nick and Sean, the other broker from Gotham Garage, were going to do business and how things were going to work. And they were disagreeing about the strategy going forward and all this kind of stuff. And here we are standing in front of this Ferrari. And by the way, this was the second Ferrari that was proposed in this season. The first deal fell apart and we were just like, oh, gee, drama. It's not going to work out. They're not going to do a Ferrari. They'll go do another Chevelle or something. You know, wait, so what? Yeah. We'll move on with life. But now we're faced with this 360, the theft recovery car at 75 grand after all that kind of overproduced, you know, lifting of the price. And as my wife and I were watching this, we're, we're thinking about it going like, something's not right here. Like, and if I was Mark and Sean coming from the hot rod world, from the customs world, dealing mostly with domestics, we've seen what's happened in the past when they did the Volkswagen, when they did the smart car, when they've done a lot of the foreign stuff, there was even a kit car going back to our kit car episode, an elite laser 917 thing built on a BW bug with a Porsche engine in it. And they struggled with that. And she and I are looking at each other going, this isn't going to end well. If this Ferrari has a single mechanical problem, they are so done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, uh, the girl on the show was a constants, um, you know, on the show. I mean, she knows her stuff. I mean, give it that, you know, it's, yeah, she's a, you know attractive girl, but you know, you can't, you don't hold that against her. She knows her stuff, you know, but yeah, that's a t totally different animal, you know, when working with those type of engines and, you know, especially, you know, mechanics, you know, electronic wise, everything and that stuff. Yeah. If they try to tell them that it ain't no, it's not no Chevelle where it's nice and simple and straightforward, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's very complicated. You can really screw some things up and, and cost tons of money down the road. Um, you know, that's why one day I was kind of surprised about it. Cause my first thought too, is the guy said, okay, we're going to do a, you know, uh, do a conversion to a six speed, you know, that would, that one of those would have made the most sense. Hey, and you know, yeah, buy the kit. They probably figured out because it's just cables and whatnot. It's not too complicated. You get all the pieces for it. It's not anything crazy. You know, it's just, you know, reprogramming the ECU and stuff like that. What, you know, again, it's, you know, you have someone that knows what they're doing. You can get it done. You know, so that was my thought that they were going to go that route and clean up. But as we both know, they, they didn't. No, they didn't. And and that goes back to a previous Ferrari Marketplace episode where you talked about doing the six-speed conversions. You even talked about that on one of our What Should I Buy episodes. But more importantly, what we didn't see was the behind the scenes, if they test drove the car, if they didn't, everything sort of happened in the parking lot. And you see Nick Smith jump in the 360 at one point, started up, rev the engine, and you're like, okay, cool, we're going to buy it. And it's like, that's it? Yeah. Okay. And you really didn't even see the interior. Ever, ever, at ever. any point. Even after they did the car. Right. Which was kind of strange. It was like, all right. <laughs> you know, so that's the other thing. It's like, okay, what shape was that in? I mean, what were we going to have to do with that? Um, so, there, there again, that there were some head scratchers and, you know, kind of just going, eh, some, you know, it doesn't seem right here. And it's starting to get a bit staged, kind of, I guess you could say, or they're hiding some things. And again, it goes back to initially looking at the car and saying it's a theft recovery. You know, only those couple things are missing. Yeah. You know, because if you really want to enhance the show and really create that ah factor, it's like, okay, everything should be stripped off this car, the interior, the seats should be gone. Everything should be, you know, be torn out, everything like that. I mean, it'd be, I would say it'd be he a He wasn't shower, even but... missing an emblem. I mean, everything no. was there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd think that'd be one of the, whoever stole it, whatever, you know, pop that thing off and put it on a necklace. 
you know, <laughs> one of those type of deals, you know. But yeah, none of that stuff was missing. It's like this just it just seemed a bit strange and it seemed a bit staged. So you know, I, again, it's like all right, well, all right, let's just see what they they go do here. Exactly. And next, they kind of cut away. We're back at the shop, and they've got some other projects on the back burner that they're bringing forward because they need to make money to pay for all this, right? So they did that. They did this uh, blacked out Chevelle. They're working on this pontoon cartoon VW bus thing, which actually I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I wasn't that was, too bad. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, right? And yeah. so see, that's the kind of stuff I enjoy watching them build. You're like, I would have never thought to put those two things together. And then the money they got for it was decent. Although that deal, the way they brokered it, that's that typical Sean. And I literally called the number they were going to settle on because I've seen it so many times. I was like, He's going to come in at 40 something. The other guy's going to come in at 20 and then they're going to do this little game. They're going to settle on 37 and a half. And that's how that's yeah. going to go out the door. And it hit right on the number. And my wife was like, man, you need to go on the prices. Right. And I'm like, this is what's up, <laughs> just, right? Yeah, it's difficult. You know, it's like, why just cut the cut, Chase. You say this, Hey, we're going to be in the middle anyways. Let's just call it a day. Exactly. But that's part of enjoying the show and being a fan for now five, six years, you get used to how they do things and you're like, okay, I see where this is going to go. So again, a little bit formulaic. And then they start, once they get all that out of the way, they start to turn their attention to the Ferrari, what they're going to do. And there's a good part of one episode where Mark goes back home. You see one of his Corvettes in the driveway. He's kind of sitting in his garage and he's got pen to paper. This is the same sort of scene they used in season three when he went back to quote unquote, the drawing board to design or bring out his design for the supercar and the bike. And I'm like, Oh man, here we go. Yeah. And he starts talking about the heritage and the lineage and the Ferraris that are going to inspire his design. And he's got this whole cork board of photographs that he pulled off the internet and stuff. And I'm sure you paused at that point, William, and you were like, okay, so this is this, and this is that. Cause I recognize Things like the 330 P3, I recognize things like the 250 GTLMs and stuff like that. And in the background, the pontoon fender Testarossas. So there's a bunch of cars there, like classic Ferraris. And, I, and I'm wondering if you had the same thought I had on where this design should have gone. But I want you to talk about the classic Ferraris that he was looking at. Yeah, my thought was, oh, I'm like, oh, Lord, he's going to F this up big time. <laughs> As he started referencing those cars, you know, with those bows and whatnot, I'm like, that it's not going to work. I go, first of all, I go, if you look at, especially like the P3 and stuff, and you look at the ass end on it, and, you know, regards with the intake stuff of that, you look at a 360, that cue is there, you know? And so, you know, a lot of those things, you know, nuance wise was already on the car, you know, and that's, you know, that's when these styling exercises, you know, people were going back to, you know, I must say retro, but looking back at old designs and bring them forward because they're, you know, so popular, you know, I mean, like the Mustang, everything, you know, all these things, you know, Camaros did them. So if you look at it, it did it. So it's like, you know, A, you know, how would you, you know, incorporate that in? And, and B is like, how extreme are you going to go? Because, you know, are you going to just get all new body panels made and completely go nuts and have to really start doing some serious, serious, you know, changes and modifications to the chassis to accommodate everything that you have to do, you know, and as you know, I mean, proportion is everything, you know, and, you know, that those cars aren't huge. It's not like, you you know, you got these big long lines. It's not like some big massive Lincoln or some old Caddy or something like that. I mean, it's a small, you know, small compact car. So, I mean, you know, your lines going from front to back, you know, you don't have all that much distance to go. So, I mean, 
you start creating these big bulbous things on the thing, it just really throws all the look off. Okay. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because they brought that up too. And, you know, the design masters of Ferrari and this and that. And if you look at a 360, there's not a crease on the car. It does have a belt line. It's very subtle. And that actually yeah. gets referenced later, but there's a lot of care and thought and imagination that go into the passion of designing a Ferrari. And they're right. Everything was accounted for. Everything was purposely put on that car and shaped the way it was, wind tunnel or otherwise. And you may not like the 360 design. It is pretty smooth compared to a 458 or a 488 or even the cars that preceded it. So the 360 is sort of a little marshmallow and that's okay. So I, I understand where he's coming from and that it's a blank canvas. Maybe we, we can work with this. Maybe we can modify it. But I'm sitting here going and the words are coming out of my wife's mouth saying, well, how do you mess with perfection? Because the Ferrari, when you look at it, at that moment in time, the 360 was perfect. It pulled the inspiration from the older cars without being ostentatious, without being ridiculous. And one other comment that they brought up when they were talking about the heritage cars outside of the 330 P3, which was a race car, purpose built for Le Mans to go against Ford, you know, in the late sixties and all that kind of thing, all the other cars they were taking inspiration from, they kept saying how unique and different they were. And I'm sitting here going, if you know anything about a 250 outside of, you know, it's chassis long or short, they're basically all the same car, especially yeah. when you look at the arch fenders, even the pontoon fender Testarossa shares design cues and design language with some of the other 250 base cars. So they're not that different. So I'm like, you're not pulling from a, a drastically different line of cars. And we're going to pick out this one little feature and this other little feature. It's like they sort of focused on two families and tried to run with it. Now, you know, we're discussing these classic Ferraris and we're talking about a, another one that was built in the mid 2000s. And I'm thinking to myself this entire time, why didn't they go down the rabbit hole of doing some sort of wide body GTLM type of car, oh, some, yeah. sort, some sort of 575 homage, something to the F40 where the the heritage would have been a lot closer. It would have been easier. Turn it into like a Magnum PI 308 inspired sort of yeah. thing. Like if you're going to go for it, but you go all the way back to the sixties, like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing too is them, you know, I say using those references and, and you know, making those kind of statements, you know, I, you look at, I guess you would say 99% of the viewers, maybe 96% of the viewers have no clue about, that type of history on Ferrari and whatnot. I mean, they'll know the Chevelles, they'll know those kind of things, the hot rods and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, you know, the target audience isn't one that's going to be as nuanced into history and stuff as we are in regards to, especially, you know, racing cars, old Ferraris, you know, Porsches, everything. You know, um, you know, so I, I doubt that was, you know, high on their priority list to kind of really put thought into it saying, well, you know, some people are going to catch this and kind of probably say, you know, that's not their thought process. Their thought process is, Wow, these other people are going to think, oh, wow, they're going to reference, you know, look at these old Ferraris from the 60s. They're going for millions of dollars, da, da, da. You know, again, it's just, and that's, you know, they make that point about the show. Is it scripted? Bad to a point, you know, but, you know, it's what they had to do. And how much, you know, him going to his garage and doing the drawings and going back, I mean, was that suggestion by producers? Hey, let's do this, you know, really, instead of him just thinking, hey, why don't we kind of go this route with it? I mean, who knows? You know, it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I agree with you. I mean, because that was also a thought I had, you know, 
um, you know, taking a page out of, you know, like what Liberty Walk does with their those wide body kits, you know, say Mansory with the ones or, you know, uh, RWB does on the Porsches, you know, kind of like going something like that in regards to, you know, going wide body on it, you know, and just really kind of going, I would say extreme, but going extreme, but, you know, keeping that nuance there, I mean, just kicking out the fender flares, you know, getting it out there, making that stance, you know, lower and wider, you know, really just killing it that way. But, you know, keeping just work with the lines that are there, but just, you know, take them out more. And when I thought about it more, it would have been really cool to do a Chinetti tribute and do like a NART design like get oh, rid of yeah. get rid of the headlights give it those gtu gtp blocks flares like you yeah. would see in the 80s that they did on the 512 bb and i'm like that would have been really really slick and that would have been something somebody would be like man that's a modern old nart race car that's really kind of cool and so yeah. for me reaching back to the 60s was a stretch and then yeah. some so what did we end up with right nick smith is buying new parts or finding parts. I don't know where, right? A new bumper yeah. cover for the rear, the rear grill, the tail lights, everything that was missing from the back of the car. And it seemed like we boiled the ocean to come up with three major changes to the car. Am I wrong? No, you're about right. Yeah. I mean, front splitter. Yeah. Front hood. And then these, we're going to talk about the flares in the back. Yeah. Well, and, and, well, and that front splitter, I don't know where the hell that came from or what it was. I mean, I, I'm like, I saw that thing. They put it up. Then when they even like touch, like put it up there. I'm like, where's that from? I mean, if you saw the bracket on the side and everything, and then especially when they mounted it and were trying to mold it in, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to look like ass. <laughs> and, and And oddly enough, the front end was the best part. Wherever they got the splitter from, if it came off of a Mustang or they measured something, it, it might have been an Energy NRG branded front splitter, kind of generic, because the rear wing that they put on it definitely was right off the shelf of Amazon, right? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but this, so they had to take that splitter that didn't really fit and mold it into the nose. So, on first glance, when you saw it with its color, you know, with the discrepancy in the color between the red of the, you know, that tornado red, the Ferrari red of the 360 and the carbon fiber black, you're like, that's going to actually look pretty cool. You know, they, they made some cuts, they slid it in, but then they, to your point, when they put in the turnbuckles and the reinforcement to, to accommodate the extra weight, they made these really boxy, almost ski slopes on the side with these air ducts that I didn't understand. They're not canards. They're just like, it, it reminded me of the Audi S1 Pikes Peak that has those oh, yeah. sort of like ramp flares in the front that come down to the spoiler. And I'm like, that's not a Ferrari thing. That's very German looking. It was really strange. Yeah. I just like, I'm like, that doesn't fit. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't fit. <laughs> but the cringe, the cringe moment was when they took the hood off the car. And they're like, we're going to put in a... Oh, the scoop. Yeah, the GT40 hood scoop. And I'm like, oh, boy. We're... They were referencing the La Ferrari. And I'm there thinking, well, as soon as they said it, what they're doing, I'm thinking, like, you know, the Pista and, and the new, you know, F8 stuff like that. But then he starts referencing La Ferrari. I'm like, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And, and my wife was asking me, she's like, how is that going to change the handling of the car? Yeah, Nothing. I was like, it's either going to handle like ass because it's changed the aerodynamics or it's going to do absolutely nothing. And it's just there for effect more than it's anything. It's a bucket. 
it's a bucket because they didn't take it out into the front underneath the nose to where the air would come up and go to. They didn't do anything. They just dropped it in there and it's a rain catcher. I mean, that's all it is. And I don't know if you caught it, you know, and we haven't got to the color they painted it yet. But if you if you didn't, I don't know if you caught it or not, is they didn't even paint all the way down into there. They left it black. Yeah. And and it wasn't like it was a line or anything. And it wasn't even like a nice fade to it. It was nope. just like they were just doing a rattle can to it and just like there bad overspray. It was that was not well finished for sure. No. And it was just that was another head scratch. I'm like, seriously? I mean, but until until they put the final touches on the nose again with the the uprights and all the stuff they needed to reinforce it i was like okay this can work i can see this happening like with the splitter and the and the the cutout nose and all that kind of stuff it sort of had this now ford gt thing going for it and i'm like we're not pulling from ferrari's playbook we're still thinking le mans we're still thinking that era but we're in the wrong paddock <laughs> yeah exactly yeah wrong manufacturer people <laughs> and then we moved to the back of the car oh oh boy you know all they did you know i and obviously it was just all fiberglass work you know and that was other thing too i'm thinking okay they're gonna pull off the existing panels and, and like buy new ones or build new ones or something no let's just slap more fiberglass on there and build them up and make them taller fatter and wider that blew everything out of proportion oh, it looks so bad it yeah was so I'm, wrong I, I and i'm watching this stuff going these guys are not the best fiberglass people in the world that's for sure well and and that was something my wife pointed out if you notice everybody else has got latex up to their elbows and they're trying not to get any of the resin on them and mark's doing it like barehanded yeah. laying glass and then they used fiberglass over the carbon Kevlar body or whatever. And then they use that as a mold to do carbon fiber. And then they grafted the carbon fiber fenders to the existing fender, as you were describing. And it's like, yeah, you couldn't tell where the seam lines were, but the big giveaway, which gets pointed out by the buyer later, and we're going to get to that too, is the air duct for the engine. I'm like, guys, you couldn't take the time to open that up and smooth yeah. it out to make the teardrop just look natural it had this weird what's that bad guy in the marvel movies that has no nose it looked like him you know the red skull or whatever it just was like oh, it, yeah. <laughs> if you chop somebody's nose off you just get that diaphragm down the middle yeah. and that's what it looked like it was weird well you know the other thing too is i'm sitting there thinking myself i go all right with everything they're doing and putting on there and doing stuff they're adding all this weight to this car they had to add a good two three hundred pounds by the time they were done yeah yeah easily and i'm like oh my god you know and some people i think oh I, how, it's, it's like you know a person or something like it, that drastically changes the car itself immensely the arrow the handling the yeah. performance and and to your point you know we we skipped over doing the obvious let's put a six speed in it do some other stuff maybe a wide body all the things we talked about they did zero performance mods to it and let's let's face it like no any, exhaust nothing nothing right but like any exotic there's a tax and I don't think they could afford to take it to that level and say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Plus, they're out of their element, right? They got a Ferrari for the first time in the shop. And it's like, well, what do we really do with it? Let's just do some body work, right? Yeah. And, you know, and you look at the car. The other thing, too, is it wasn't like it was absolutely necessary. I mean, to me, look at stuff, the body work looked fine. Yeah, hey, you know, 
take it to a good detailer, get it all done up, get some paint correction done or whatnot. You know, be done with it for the day, wash your hands. You know, they would have been better off just doing a wide body cam stuff, doing some performance mods, putting an exhaust on it, conversion, whatnot. And for what they got for it, they would have probably gotten that for it justifiably. You know, because in the end, <laughs> what they got wasn't justified. We'll get there. Yeah, we get there, but it's just, it was baffling the thought process. And, you know, and the scary thought is because now staged or not, is their mind there? Oh, we can do this to some more Ferraris. Uh, we'll get there too, but yeah. we gotta we gotta talk about the color. Yeah, yeah, that's like oh, this is a sacrilege. I mean, this is you know, it's a factory color just from a different factory. Yeah, Jesus, Kia. <laughs> well, that's nine. It's nine eleven GT three RS green, right? It's Carrera green. Yeah, and it looks horrible on that car. I don't know if it was the lighting. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think they changed the hue slightly or whatnot. I mean, because that green on a, a nine eleven looks spectacular. I mean, looks great. But man, and that's because a nine eleven can wear almost every color. Like, I mean, if you look at the seventies, they came in the assortment of M M&M and M colors from the factory, and that orange, yellow, that Kelly green, green. Carrera green is one of those yeah. colors in the catalog, right? But Ferraris, if you're going to do green. You go back to the 308 catalog and you do that metallic green, that really yeah. dark with the gold fleck in it. Like the the Ferraris wear darker colors better. If you and as far out as you can go is that kind of Ginster yellow, you know, the 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 Jalo, whatever they call it, you know, that that they have that that bright mustard color. And it and that's about as as outlandish as they get. And and you kind of think about Ferrari. And you start painting it these crazy colors like that. And it's like, well, who the hell do you think you are? Lamborghini? Like Lamborghini yeah. does that, right? Paint it orange, paint it ink, purple, like all these Chrysler colors that came on the Challenger, right? But a Ferrari, it's like red, black, navy blue, dark gray, you know, all those those wonderful colors that they come in. But Carrera green, that 360 does not wear that color well. And, and I tell no. you what, even if it was a race livery, it wouldn't look good in that color. No, it was horrendous. And, you know, like I said, and once you see it, you're going to be like, you want to puke. Let's talk about the accents, shall we? Oh, you know, and I think that's the, those are the only patterns they know is that fucking spiderweb pattern. And as you people, hey, if you watch the preview ones or what I go through, you'll see it's a, it's a common theme on all, a lot of the cars they do is that they, they redo the grills and whatnot. But putting these spiderweb accents in the ducks in the front and then you know and either putting that little gotham logo or putting getting the name gotham on it you know in the front oh my and this was gold no not just gold rose gold rose gold my bad rose gold because and that was the color of the wheels to boot too which sometimes you know the rose gold can look good in certain situations on certain cars if it's done correctly you know but on this situation it just didn't work because it's rose gold on on this just vomit green and but it was the tackiest, tackiest, ugliest looking. You, they they pulled it off and you look at that front. You just got to be. Are you kidding me? So when they put the Gotham garage in rose gold inside of the bucket, right? The rain collector, as you like to call it. That was the Flava Flav with the big clock around his neck. Like it was so out of place it was so wrong like even if they had just put their big 
you know, double G logo with the bat wings, it yeah. wouldn't have looked right either. It just, to your point, it needed to have a better gradient in the paint scheme. It needed to be subtle, needed to be shadowed, but putting that Gotham garage and the way they sat it, it was partially in the green, partially in the back. It just stood out like a gold tooth. And you're just like, oh, God, this is terrible. Drawing attention to the worst, one of the worst things on that front end where they did a shit paint job. They didn't complete it. It's like, let's put some accent on there that looks like crap. And that draws attention to that as well. Well, and I'm glad you said shit paint job because we've watched them paint cars over the years. And Mark is an extremely talented painter. I've said it before. I will stand by that. Some of the stuff he has done in the paint booth is amazing. I want to reference the Mako Shark inspired C3 Corvette that they did. He did this beautiful gradient from just like a shark's body from a deep dark blue all the way to a silver through these multiple layers. I mean, it was just gorgeous, metallic, you know, and, and they're capable of doing some awesome paint jobs. I noticed with this car, we didn't see it in the paint booth. No. We, we saw them getting together afterwards and they're pulling nick smith in oh you got to get dirty and put your overalls on and everybody gets involved in the big build and all this bs and i'm like okay fine and you watch them and they're pulling the you know the painter the frog tape off of the car and at one point my wife pointed out she goes look you can still see the red they didn't prime the car so they did like a mako spray over on this thing and i'm sort of wondering like is this like a plastic dip like they're going to be able to peel this paint off later kind of thing because normally you would see the whole stage, them sanding down the car and doing all the stuff yeah. and doing the prep work and blah, blah, blah. And in this case, they kind of blasted through that. And I'm like, oh, Especially boy. with all that fiberglass work that they did on the two, on the ass end, you know, that's a shitload of prep work and getting everything. And then, you know, panel gaps, everything. I mean, again, yeah, they, uh, they hit a lot, I guess you could say, in regards to process and steps that were taken to get to that end result which just is just absolute blasphemy. I mean, just, I could not believe my eyes when I saw that thing when it was done. Oh, but it gets worse. It gets yeah, worse. Yeah, I was just about to say, and you think, oh my God, it can't get any worse than this. Oh, it gets worse. Because, you know, that, then it even gets more along the lines, you're thinking this is stage or whatnot. And and kind of go referencing, you know, they are two sales guys. You know, I can see Nick having some contacts and whatnot, just because of his background, everything like that. What you know, he came up through with, uh, you know, at Symbolic and uh, was it Sotheby's or one of the auction houses, Classic Avenue and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I could see him having, you know, some of the contact stuff. But the other guy, you know, if you look at his resume and stuff like that, that guy, you know, he's been on a couple of the car shows, but he was mainly the guy's an actor. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I don't think this guy knows anybody. So I, I, this was somebody getting pulling strings or something or someone they knew, but you know, making those calls. And, and as you know, because you saw it, but so everyone, you know, just kind of going over it. You know, they stage, they have an event. You know, they call around and try and find a place. They find that there's a winery, really nice winery, everything like that. And they so they invite all these people that are prospective buyers and everything like that. At night, I want to point at out. Night, yeah, at let's, night, at night. Yeah, which was a good, yeah, good move. Try to make it as dark as possible. <laughs> Always sell a car at night if yeah, you don't want and, anybody and to look at the mistakes. Man, just feed them that booze before you take the cover off. So, you know, they get the stage set. So, obviously, they corral all these people to come out, you know, and, you know, my understanding would be open bar or whatnot. That. So, you know, 80% of the people come and, hey, they're just coming for the free booze and snacks and stuff like that. But, you know, Kind of given a ballpark is where they're thinking this thing might be at. You know, they were kind of given a definitive hard number, you know, to get people to go. But, you know, they're kind of getting out there because people, you know, 
would want to know that before traveling, however far it may be, you know, and, you know, the one guy comes out that traveled very far. I mean, I, I, I felt bad for these people. Yeah, because when they uncovered the car, if you looked, if you paused and sort of looked into the crowd, the reaction wasn't all smiles with a big sign that says applause and they all go crazy. No. There were people are like, what the heck is this thing? Yeah. Right. And so there was a lot of hype around the car. And in the background, the murmurs within the crew is like, this is either going to make us or break us. Because to your point, oh, sure. doing a Ferrari in this color, in this way, it's sacrilege, especially in a community that knows those cars, wants those cars in their collection with their other Ferraris or their Porsches or whatever they have. You know, this is not a toy. This is not a Corvette that you can dress up like a Hot Wheels car, which as a matter of fact, they've done on this show before. And so for me, I'm I'm on pins and needles going, man, this is going to go over like a lead balloon and they're going to be stuck with this car. And this is like three times that they're stuck with some build that they just cannot unload. Yeah. And there comes a point, you know, they unveil the car, people are talking and you see people are walking away. You know, I got to get another drink before I look at this thing again. And they're trying to work the crowd. The whole team is trying to work the crowd. Every one of them is. And at one point, and I don't know if they meant to leave it in or not, but you hear Constance saying, this isn't going well. Nobody's no, interested in that. this car. And I was like, dang, that is yeah. savage. Well, you know, everyone that you know, walk up to is kind of the thing, you know, uh, I'll have to think about it. You know, it's just a nice way to like, you're out of your mind. Oh, that guy talking about his wife. I got to run it by my wife. I'm like, oh, yeah, man. exactly. It's like, yeah, again, it's the, the old car sale stuff you know, on the purchaser side, you know, using the same excuse. But yeah, I mean, going up to everybody, eh, I don't think so, whatnot. And what we've left out the big reveal is how much they wanted for the car, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, what was he at? 225? Two and a quarter for a 360. Yeah, for a 360. With no performance mods. Yeah, a death recovery, which, you know, we'll, you'll find on doing a VIN thing on stuff like that. And if they're, worth their salt they would have disclosed that too though this was a theft recovery car you know which is a you know a big red flag for anybody especially a ferrari that you know is done by a shop that has no business working on a ferrari you know it'd be one thing if you're going to an actual ferrari shop they got a theft recovery went through it tooth and nail everything like that you know, every nut and bolt and, and hey you can trust the fact is but then you got these guys going you know they're they don't even you know this, how how many ferraris they worked on Two, one, maybe at best, you know, zero, you know, so that was the, you know, uh, <laughs> the other thing about it too is I, I, I want to say the balls on them to ask that. I mean, that is some balls, <laughs> you know, to stand by that saying, okay, let's, yeah, we want 225 for it, you know, and, and if, you know, in other episodes I watch and, you know, and if you go back and watch other ones, you'll see they kind of, you know, as a group or, you know, between Mark and uh, Paul, you know, they kind of usually come up with the number. But then when they get in front of the client, potentially, Paul always jacks the price up more. Oh, Sean does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Sean does, you know, and, and get it down. So, you know, it's like, okay, they're, they're starting high. But on the big builds, on big builds like this, like the supercar, like the Tesla, the Ferrari, there's a couple others. He digs his heels in the sand and he doesn't want to budge on the number. And they mentioned that even yeah. during this, when it comes almost down to closing, because we get this dark horse rolling in at the last minute when everybody's pretty much like, nah, brah, you can you can take that thing back on the trailer it came on. Right. 
he's dig. You can tell he's digging his heels in. He wants that two twenty five. He wants two hundred. And then they're they're screwing around with the numbers. And at one point, Sean's playing the same game he always plays. And I'm like, here we go. And you, the look on Nick's face. And again, the editing this season is funny compared to previous ones where they left certain things in. And Nick is like just rolling his eyes, like, "Come on, man, this is not how we do business in the Ferrari world. Like, what no. are you doing? You know?" Yeah, well, you know, and you have to start wondering because you watch is like him digging his heels in. Is it more ego, you know, and, and his mind thinking, you know, no, it is, in my mind, it is worth this. You know, something's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly. You know, and and unless you have, you know, all it takes is two people to create a bidding war, so to speak, and to drive a price up, whatnot. But if you have one person that's dictating market value. It's going down. I mean, you got one buyer, you're going to have to bite the bullet. But, yeah, I mean, digging his heels in, you know, it, it, them getting a little paranoid because, you know, I think those other ones, they, they were thinking, too, is like, oh, crap, we're going to be stuck with this car, you know, and then what are we going to do with it? How are we going to sell? Because if you go back, you know, to those, the Bugatti S car, you know, they made an attempt to sell that thing online. They dug his heels in and wouldn't let it go. And then, you know, luckily they, how legit it was or whatnot, because, Nick was the one that brought in the supposed big high ball and roller deal, you know, buyer. And Nick ends up being on in season five. So I was like, how much was that kind of play? So who knows? But, you know, uh, it's just, you can see the kind of worry in everyone else's eyes. Oh, crap, we're going to be stuck with this as well. But again, now we get something that seems a little too TV esque as well. This major collector from the East coast comes rolling in who supposedly is just, is happens to be in town. This was a two week window from them calling on this guy coming in, which is a little odd because someone like that, you know, in that time frame, unless you're talking something super special and you know that they were looking for this specific car, they're not going to kind of say drop everything or be able to squeeze something in. You know, this guy's, you know, if he's a major collector, the kind of dealings this guy has, he's not going to be like, well, yeah, yeah. You know, the auto show's going on. What I'll try and see if I can squeeze in and whatnot. Let's be real, William. If they had called you, you would have gone. You would have showed up. Yeah, yeah, why not? Well, God, I wanted to see what the hell this thing was. I mean, talk about a great YouTube video. That would have been fantastic. Oh, my God. That would have got, you know, went viral. Look at this thing. is dropping this thing before the show aired. But, um, you know, so as you saw, and this guy comes rolling in. Was it a Rolls Royce? or I'm trying to remember what it was in. Yeah, so when he's in the back seat, you know, I'll ask you, hey, I'm a high baller roller here. And coming in and you know, he comes in, you know, gets out of the car. They greet him. Guy's very kind of low key. And the cover's already off the car. So it wasn't like they did the reveal to him. So he comes walking up and sees this car. Now, again, this guy is supposedly a, a major collector. So you have to assume he's probably got some Ferraris in his collection. And what supposedly else? an expert in 360s, they said. Yes. And yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if this guy's a major collector and he's got to think, he could give two shits about a 360. There's nothing special about it, unless it's like a 360 challenge or something like that. You know, um, you know, it's just some standard 360 challenge. I mean, 360 is like, what would he care? I mean, it's a, I would say entry level, but it is. It's like buying a 308. You're like, whatever. Yeah, okay. exactly. You know, so him getting his all worked up about it, but no, so he comes walking up and starts looking at it. And again, as we described this card, and as if you watch the episodes, you will see, how horrific this car is. And this guy like actually showing some kind of interest in the car, which was absolutely shocking to me. And I'm saying, okay, this is just kind of set up now. This is, is not making sense. I, there's just no way. So 
as we guys out, we knew where they were starting at at the 225. You know, so they get down to brass tacks and start, you know, kind of discussing that. And he's going over the car. He's talking about byline stuff. Like, I mean, he's really kind of, you know, scrutinizing the car, kind of going to again, go back. We don't see the interior at all. I don't see him open a car door and look inside at all. You know, you don't, you don't see him start the car. You know, nothing. You know, I'm sorry, but you're going to buy something like that. You're going to start it. I want to hear it run. All right, let's drive it because I want to see how the transmission is, I think, because if the F1 train is shot on that, that's 20 grand right there. You know, it's like all these things, if you're going to be spending that kind of money, you know, you're north of six figures, you're going to want to scrutinize the hell out of this car. And you're probably, you know, get a PPI done and do all this stuff. And, hey, I want to see records, da, 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 da. You know, I just come strolling in to see this gaudy-ass green snot thing sitting there with these rose gold accents, spiderweb accents saying Gotham Garage on it going, woohoo! Yeah, I'm going to put that in my collection. And offering up 165 grand. And my wife was like, what? Did he just say 165? I was like, I'm sitting thinking, go, okay, this guy is not legit. I go, there is no way this guy would even start there. I was I was waiting for like 120 or 110 to come out of his mind. Even then I've been like, yeah, you guys should probably take that, you know, and, but no, and him started 165, I was like, oh, oh God, you know, and so then they came back at the 200. Yep. So then he's kind of scared. He goes, well, you know, and then I think he came to 170, they came down to 190. And then he just says, I can't go any higher than 175. Like, ah. Uh. Yeah. And so, and that's again, when Mark's kind of digging his heels and they're kind of like looking at Mark going, oh crap, we're going to be stuck with this car. And, you know, they do that dramatic effect looking at Mark, everything like that. So then he starts, you know, going into the spiel about, you know, you're thinking, okay, he's not going to sell. Then he's like, well, but, you know, this gets us in the door and da, 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 for this market, this and that. So, yeah, we can do 175. I'm thinking, oh, my God. If this guy's, if that guy bought that car and he's legit and that car is sitting in the collection of five or ten cars or whatnot, that thing's like sitting up front or something like that. I mean, people are going to walk in and go, this guy's got absolute Stupid taste. I mean, why would you buy that car? <laughs> the money it would take to convert it back to a just plain Jane 360, you're completely upside down. I mean, the hood alone, I can't imagine after they sacrificed it, is cheap. You know, no. in my opinion, if you're going to mod a Ferrari, to your point, pull the fenders off, pull the hood off, keep the original parts so you can convert it back to what it was yeah. in case it just goes totally pear-shaped but to mod the car like it was an old chevelle or an impala or something and say well here it is you know we shaved the door handles you're like ah, that's that's it's hard to come back from that you go out into the market you know and again we're re and referencing like you know liberty walk mansory rwb and whatnot they really do not with any of those kits really basically fiddle with the look of it they just kind of enhance it and and just give it a meaner looking stance you know they're gonna get into a fiberglass work here and there yeah i mean you got some extreme ones where it's complete new bolt-on kit for you know quarters and fenders and whatnot but you know those ones are you, you can tell that that's what they are but you look at you know what those other ones are it's like it enhances it they, they work with the car you know and what those guys did is just it's horrendous and it just I, it's like, is that, yeah, that's why I just made you think, okay, when he got to that point, okay, that guy's not legit. It ain't real. It's like, and I've been kind of looking around online trying to find any anything else on this car. You know, where did it end up, whatnot? Because, you know, either A, the guy did buy it and he fucking put it in a dumpster and just like lit it on fire 
and says, oh, hey, I got some good PR on that or whatnot. God only knows, you know, or put it in a, you know, smash up derby, car derby or something. I mean, I don't know what you would do with that because I would be embarrassed to take that thing to any type of, even to a cars and coffee. I mean, because people are going to be like, they know how much you paid for it. They're going to be looking at you going, you're the freaking idiot that bought this car. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, and if that guy is legit, the people that know him in the industry as, and whoever's like, say, dealt with them or sold them cars or whatnot, I mean, his phone would have been ringing off the hook saying, how in the hell did you pay that? Why would you pay that for that car? I mean, you talk about getting ridiculed. And, you know, he's probably like, I actually didn't buy the car. I just do it out there whatnot to kind of let them save face. So, and that's exactly what we were thinking. I think who ended up with that car is the young guy with the flat brim hat that they brought in at the beginning of the season who has all that collection of the Lamborghinis and yeah. the Bugattis and all that kind of stuff. And he bought that custom Dodge Charger that they built for him. It's the first car they did in the season. And I was scratching my head going like, why the hell does somebody want like a hoopty charger from 2006? And, you know, and they built him this car that he could kind of take and go hoon around in and whatever. And I'm like, this Ferrari sort of leans in that direction. And he was there that night and they didn't pay him a ton of attention. They sort of did the, yo, bro, what's up? You know, you're here. Thanks for coming to the party. And, and he was in the background. And even when they negotiated with Poindexter, you know, from the East Coast, if you noticed, there was no crowd. Yeah, there, everyone's gone. Almost. Exactly. And there was continuity issues that my wife and I picked up on in the filming where Mark was wearing different hats and you had to pay close attention. And they didn't they even didn't even take the time to like brush off his blazer. Like it was it was a mess. Right. Yeah. And we're like, what the hell? And we really think that that other guy and I can't remember his name right now, probably ended up with the car because it sort of falls more in line with his style. You know, new money, you know, fancy car, just kind of, you know, fast and the furious type of look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And I'm cool with that, man. If yeah. you like if you like cars and that's your thing, I'm good with it. Right. But this other dude. Yeah, I didn't believe it for a second. But yeah, where we go from here is what really got my attention. And remember, they're talking about this saying we're going to do high end cars. We want to do Jaguars and Porsches and Ferraris and Mercedes Benz and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I keep thinking to myself, this is a weird marriage between Nick's team and Mark's team. Nick keeps talking about having how he wants to elevate them. And I'm like, you got to get them to pack up the custom, the custom American cars and the hot rods because hot rods and exotics, I hate to say they don't mix. No, they don't. They don't. Right. No. So when you look at a shop on the East coast or on the West coast, like a Forza or prancing skunk or any of those people that are doing restorations that are working on those cars, or if they are doing modifications to them, they're within reason they're within the right mentality of how you would modify a ferrari or a maserati or a lamborghini or whatever it is but i just don't see this working right and we're kind of i felt like my wife and i as we were watching this we breathed a sigh of relief as did the past and everybody else sort of when it was over we're like oh my god we're going to put this ferrari thing to bed and we're going to move on and hope that season six is better because this is just a train wreck and then we get this sort of after the credits at the Marvel movie, you just sat through, you know, yeah. the Hulk and Iron Man doing their thing. And there's this extra five minutes of Nick, Sean, and Mark in a private collection. And so why don't you describe it for everybody, what plays out next? That's a dealer. Okay. 
DDD has been in that shop a few times. I don't know if anyone watches DDE, the Daily Driven Exotics YouTube channel, but they actually were in there recently, and they've been in there before, and I'm trying to remember the name of that dealership. But anyways, yeah, so they show them the next day going through because they think they're stepping up. And I immediately, when they're kind of going around, even before they said it, I'm like, okay, the 612 Scalietti, okay, that, that's a cheap car. You know, I'm speaking, I go, and, but hey, if it's got a, a, a six-speed in it, you know, hey, you could do some cool stuff with that, very subtle, whatnot, and get it. You know, but as we saw, it was a package deal for the 612 F1 tranny. I, I, I want to assume because that would have been because price wise, where they're at, and a 458. So, 458, you know, just a basic Italian. So, wasn't anything with a special one, but those are going up in value because that's the last naturally aspirated Ferrari eight cylinder they're making they made and they sound beautiful uh, and uh, it's a fabulous car and people rant and rave and people say you know, hey that's like the last pure ferrari because then you start getting into turbocharged stuff in the 48s and stuff like that now the 612 is kind of one of those ones is a love hate you know i like them i think they're not it's a great touring car you know big front engine v12 whatnot 600 some horsepower it's like the new four five six basically yeah, exactly. It's all it was is the upgrade from the four five six. It's a great car, you know. And then they say it's a package deal, and you got to buy them both because they're like, "Well, we'll just buy this one." Says, no, you got to buy them both. Two hundred and ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, two hundred nine for both. I'm like, I start thinking in my head. I'm like, if you know, and then the guy kind of says, "Oh, there's some room there, and whatnot." I go, "If you can get those for two fifty, two sixty five for both of them," I go, "That's a pretty not a bad deal." You know, because, you know, you bake out that 458, depending on mileage, options, whatnot, how is it done again? Because you have no idea. But, you know, that's $150,000, $170,000 right there. That's 612. Again, you're in that, you know, 120, 130 range. You know, again, depending on miles, whatnot. So, and it's a retail number, not wholesaling them. But if you get around there, that's not a bad deal on those two cars. But the, the scary part is, is what in God's name are they going to do to these two cars? That's where they leave you. Yeah. Because, you know, they you know they, they set that up to, for them that they're buying the cars. I mean, it's if they start season six, episode one, and those, they, they come in and say, wow, we didn't buy those two cars. I'd be like, I'd be a little surprised. There's a moment of tension as they, cl they close it out, leaving us with a cliffhanger going into season six. And to your point it's going to be one of these make or break situations. Either they're going to buy the cars and they're going to go both feet into this custom Ferrari spider web world, or they're going to part ways with Nick Smith. And and both my wife and I were kind of like, those are the only options here. And because season five was so rocky with the way they do business so differently, I'm like, I don't know that I want to watch a season six where we perpetuate this behavior. I can't, I've been saying for a while now, since the show sort of changed in season three, how do we get back to seasons one and two? How do we get back to the red paper clip? How do we get back to that classic upgrade and trade mentality where they were scratching at, you know, $1,500 cars and this and that. And, you know, jokingly, my wife says, that's when you change over and you just keep watching Tex-Mex Motors because that's yeah. what they're doing, <laughs> right? So I was, you know, and that's a whole nother story for another day. And that, that show also ends with a Ferrari in their stable, a 275 uh, Daytona, but we'll talk about that another another point. 
there's this hardball moment between sort almost come to Jesus between Nick and Mark and they're staring each other down. Like it's the Alamo and Nick's like, this is the game you wanted to play. And this is a direct quote. If you don't dare, you don't win. And I'm like, come on, man. And then it just <laughs> roll credits. See y'all next year. Right. And well, like, you know, here's the thing too. And, and I, you hit it you know, in regards to the business model, you know, I'm, bit surprised especially you know if you're going like that high dollar opening just out of the gate you know acquiring what cars you're going to work on you know supposedly the business model is it seems like they all have an ownership stake in this because they split all the profits if that's the case then it seems to me that he's not paying these guys an hourly labor rate or anything hey it's all based on what we make Commission. on the car so it's like you would think if I was in that position, I would have want to have a big say in what cars we're doing, how we're doing it, because I want to be sure we're going to get, you know, you know, I don't want to bust my ass on something and make nothing or only make a couple grand when I kill myself for a month. Exactly. And that's part of the way this show is structured. Everybody else seems to have a day job. Like, let's take Tony, the master fabricator at Gotham. So Tony has his own gig like i feel like car masters is a side hustle they get together yeah. to, for your point for a couple of months or six months or whatever it is shoot the show get these cars done as fast as they can and that was the other thing that nick kept stressing you got to get these high quality done as fast as possible and i'm like those two things don't go together if you've ever spent any time with a rest restoration shop you know doing these types of things it takes forever to get these kinds of cars done to the oh, level yeah. of like not even sema quality but even pebble beach quality you don't do that in two weeks and then flip it for you know, six figures. But the point is, these guys seem to have, let's say, regular jobs, they're taking time off to do this. So they're getting paid on commission, which is totally fine. But when it came down to it, at the end of season five, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and said, we're still fans of the show, we will still be fans of the show. But I think what we really want at this point is a show with Tony, Caveman and Constance, just those three, and then maybe those two other guys from Nick shop, the fabricators, because they, they're pretty mild mannered and doing their yeah. thing. And they're very good at what they do. Right. These other people, the front end, the front of house, we're, I'm sort of over it at this point. But that's not to say I'm not going to watch season six when it comes out. Oh, well, no, I got it now. I mean, it's, you know, it's like I, I think, you know, they them talk about getting into the you know restoration and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I, I think you have two choices in regards to if you're going to get into high-end exotic collectible cars into i guess you say foreign ones you know you could either go into your cars that are basically late 80s 90s and up but that basically more entails you know engine modifications slight you know exterior mods to it nothing you know i mean you could get a little extreme but it has more to do with making them loud and fast twin turbo da 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 that kind of stuff you see you know and go forward you know then if you go prior to that you're talking your you know 50s 60s early 70s stuff you know that that's going you know say concourse driver car whatever whatever level a person's got but i mean you're talking such a different set of skills between those two type of ventures the only engine person they got is constance and i, I mean i don't you know her dad was a drag racer or whatnot so she's working on she's probably got the knowledge ability to slap turbos on and do all that kind of crap but i mean you don't know but they definitely don't have the skill set to go to the early stuff. I mean, because then you're talking English wheels, stuff like that crap. You know, I mean, but that that's an art. 
And, you know, so you, you definitely won't see that. So it's, it's really going to be curious to see what they do. You know, I, I think they only could, you know, and I say they got away with this one in season five, Peyton and Green and whatnot. But I think, you know, it would be a make or break in regards to if they you know, they acquired those two, the 612 and 458. You know, I think that would be a make or break in regards to how they handle it. Because if they do something as gaudy and tacky as that with both of those, and then they sell them for some stupid number, you know, I, I think it's going to turn off a lot of people because they're going to be like, okay, this is staged. A hundred, a hundred percent. And I, they're going to lose their audience and they're going to lose their credibility because the cars they've been doing up until this point cater to not just a certain demographic, but they cater to a type of collector, right? The people that are interested in that SEMA kind of car or that cars and coffee car, or, you know, some of the other ones that we talked about, even on what should I buy? So there's a buyer in their current market. And by them jumping out of that, and, you know, if we're going to do Ferraris and Jaguars and all this other custom stuff, now the show what does it become? Does it become counting cars? Like, I'm not trying to put a knock on Danny Coker, but you know, he's got his own stuff going on and he's been doing it for years and he'll mod anything and, and he doesn't yeah. seem to really care. So is, and so we are wondering, is that the direction the show is taking? Is that the direction the shop should be taking? Like, and it's not questions that I need to answer or that maybe we, we will ever get the answer to, but it has lost its way. Right. And when, jokingly we talked about in season three four when they built that that shark of a corvette which i enjoyed the paint scheme on the show jumped the shark at that point <laughs> if you go back and watch you'll understand what i'm talking about or listen to my review it makes sense but it has turned a page i'm willing to hang in there i hope that tony constance and caveman get more airtime maybe they get their own spinoff it goes back to kind of classic gotham garage type stuff because the three of them are they have great personalities they have great chemistry on camera they're they're all smart and they get stuff done and they do good work and they're the ones doing the majority of the work at the end of the day so i want to know more about that i want to see more about that but what i think we need to wrap this episode up with william is as you're an expert in this space the moral to the story here is when you take all these layers off is there room in the ferrari marketplace pun intended, for custom Ferraris. Not this one specifically, but custom Ferraris in the collector space. The one moral is don't send your Ferrari to Gotham Garage. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, again, you know, it's all personal preference. You know, and, and like, I, like I was saying just before is, you know, you got this, you know, I guess you would say demographic where, you know, at, at a certain point, and I guess it has to do with coming up, you know, playing Forza, that kind of stuff, and having that on there, where these guys are just, you know, taking these cars, you know, they're, I say, 40 and under, maybe even earlier, 40s and down, you know, as twin turbo and everything like that. It's all about power and sound and the crackle, you know, backfire and all that kind of crap. I mean, a lot, some of those cars look good. You know, some of those cars are, are you know, they're a bit, for, I mean, I'm 53, so I, I'm going to go inside, you know, it's, that would just draw me, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a person that says, look, I, I don't mind a decent exhaust, so it sounds good because, you know, especially with the flat flat plate crank V8, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Boxer 8, whatever, you know, sounds phenomenal, you know, 
put a tube exhaust on it, you know, put something else on there. It just sounds good. But, you know, getting to really extreme with some of the stuff and twin turns, that's just not my cup of tea. I'm more, you know, I like that more stock aesthetic look. But, you know, you're definitely not going to do it with anything early. Ain't going to happen. You know, I, I could, you know, it'll be interesting regards to say, you know, I, I could see it going from 360s, you know, maybe a 328, 308s, still doing some really kind of weird stuff and kind of like, hey, what can we get away with? Because they're just in abundance. Kind of like that K swap 308 that we saw in the last couple of years. Exactly. You know, um, you know, I, and I've seen like some guys, you know, doing their, you know, trying to, you know, doing a carbon fiber biant to kind of, you know, retro tribute to a 288, that kind of stuff. And, um, I, I think there's a window there for that, but I mean, I think you have to, you can't just be, I want to say, I don't want to say subtle. So, cause that would mean like, Oh, Hey, paint the thing green and get these gaudy things on there. You know, it's more along the lines is, and not going to a complete like singer type level of a, of a build, you know, but almost to a point, you know, it's like, all right, you really need to improve on what came out of the factory to make it worth it. You know? So it's like, you know, new interior, but taking it to the 10th level, you know, and, you know, carbon fiber, everything like that. It's like, I mean, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to take it to a level that's justifiable, especially for cost or price, you know, if you're going to do it, but not what they did. There's just no way, not, there's just no way, you know, um, you know, and I just don't see it. You know, it's, you know, um, like I said, you know, them, you know, them taking newer like four or five eights, you know, four eights, that kind of stuff, and doing it. I mean, you really don't see it all that much with Ferraris. You see them with the Lamborghinis and Porsches, yeah, and Porsches, and you see a lot of stuff, but you really don't see it that much. And you know, I don't know how so much as just who the buyer is, the demographic of people that buy them. Um, I don't know if they're afraid to get cease and desist from Ferrari because Ferrari is extremely particular about what you do with your car. I mean, they they could give to you know what's that it's hey I bought it with my money I own it they don't care that's their intellectual property in their mind and they're gonna dictate what you can and can't do and you get two nuts you're gonna get a letter from them you know um you know so you don't really know too much um you know I know I'm gonna reference these DDE guys because you know um I don't the main guy and the other guy you know um Dave and Damon you know they're kind of leading the show. I mean, they're all right. They're a little kind of honestly obnoxious, but Mike Essa, who they brought in, who's the fab guy, drifting guy, everything like that. I watch it for him because I like watching his mind work in regard to how he builds the cars and what he comes up with and, you know, modding these cars and that, because I mean, he knows his shit, you know, and he really knows how to build these things right. So I, I really enjoy watching his aspect of it and take it. Now, you know, they did that 550. Now, you know, they're going to do up that 599. And what he's doing, what they're doing to it, you know, they're going that race car look, you know, obviously, and it's a drifting car, but, you know, it's it's going more race car-ish look. It's not this gaudy, you know, all these appendages or anything. Each, each thing serves a purpose on the car. That's the one key thing. It's not just for aesthetics. You know, it's not to be obnoxious. It's serving a purpose for airflow, air for mo whatever, you know, downforce, what have you. So, it's all serving a purpose. Now, you know, he, they're doing, or I should say he's doing, because he's the one doing it all, you know, a, a great job in what they're doing. But again, I think that's the correct way to do it. And I think you can see that where people say, well, that's not something obnoxious and, and crazy. It's like taking it race car-ish for the street. You know, that one's going to be a complete drift car. But, you know, I think it's going to turn out great 
like I, I know the one I just watched, like the, he just they watched him fabricate up in the hood, just putting in the vents and the hood and everything. Man, it changed. You want to talk a, a thousand percent better look to the car with the vents on there? It looked phenomenal, you know. And just that was a simple thing. They showed him cutting out and doing everything like that. And again, it was cool to see it because you know they're cutting into a you know hundred and seventy thousand dollar car, hundred sixty thousand dollar car, you know, and just having at it what like it's nothing, you know. It's just it's neat to watch, you know. And that was one they did a six speed conversion on, you know. So that's the other thing. So it's um. You know, I think it, it's going to go a certain route, but it's not going to be something obnoxious. I just don't, I, I don't see it. I don't see people want, I don't see a market for it. I don't see think people will buy it. It's just, it's just a different type of buyer that buys Ferraris. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our rant on season five of <laughs> Car Masters. But, you know, William, I got to thank you for inviting me to come on the Ferrari Marketplace podcast. I'm looking forward to being back on here, talking about other things and the new direction that the show has taken and you becoming part of the family here at the Motoring Podcast Network. So this has been good. I hope the audience enjoyed it. Yeah, guys. Hey, I appreciate you listening. And yes, hey, definitely take a listen to the other uh, 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 podcasts that we got here on MPN. Uh, there's some great stuff on there. Definitely listen, you know, give those guys a listen. Uh, next episode we got, Crew Chief Eric will be on that one as well because we're doing a thing on the Mill Amelia. We're going to have also Jonathan Summers on here, who's a great historian, a very, very knowledgeable gentleman on all things Mill Amelia and a lot of other races and Target Floor and that stuff. But we're going to focus on the Mill Amelia because of the Ferrari movie that came out, which if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. It's really, really good. But remember, it's entertainment. It's not a documentary. I feel like there's another episode in there too, William. You're going to have to do a review I'm of the sure movie. I'm sure there will be another one in there as well with that. So we got lots of stuff to discuss and chew on. So, but again, I appreciate everybody listening and, you know, take a listen to the other podcasts on the network and Hey, we'll be back for more. And uh, we have this set up now. We should have a lot more of these rolling on a more continuous basis. So thanks guys for listening. Appreciate it and have fun. This episode has been brought to you by Grand Touring Motorsports as part of our Motoring Podcast Network. For more episodes like this, tune in each week for more exciting and educational content from organizations like the Exotic Car Marketplace, the Motoring Historian, Brake Fix, and many others. If you'd like to support Grand Touring Motorsports and the Motoring Podcast Network, sign up for one of our many sponsorship tiers at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Please note that the content, opinions, and materials presented and expressed in this episode are those of its creator, and this episode has been published with their consent. If you have any inquiries about this program, please contact the creators of this episode via email or social media, as mentioned in the episode.